welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are doing another medical-themed TV episode, and one that I am absolutely just so excited to be able to record this episode because I've been a, a longtime fan of this show for at least 10 years now, and uh, I've wanted to do this episode, and I for months and months and months, I couldn't really find a great angle to do it, and then... If you remember back in June, we had uh, the author and professor, Dr. Jen Mannion, on to talk about their book, Female Husbands, which is a fascinating trans history that I, I'm staring at it right now up on my bookshelf. I'm like, tempted to grab it and start flipping through again. Uh, it's a really, really fabulous book, and uh, it was so great to have them on for our, our Pride coverage. And uh, through, through promoting that episode, I got to meet their partner, uh, Jessica Hallam, who has had such a fascinating career and just covering so many aspects of uh, improving LGBTQ lives in medicine. Uh, and I, I want to, uh, well, let, I'll let her introduce herself. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to have her on to talk about one of my favorite old shows, and she brings so much experience. We're going to, uh, well, we'll get to the episode in a minute. Uh, Jessica, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for that. That was wonderful. And I I do love, um, you know, this is a unique opportunity to get to talk about, especially bringing in that my partner and their work on trans history and my commitment uh, and my work in trans medicine and trans health. And uh, it's it, it's a family affair, as trans issues usually are. Um, and so it's always an honor as, as someone who's not trans to be able to get to chime in and, and bring my experience and uh, commitment to this work. So I love that part of it. Um, I, um, I would say my, my commitment, my interest and my knowledge around LGBTQ, uh, health, trans health, uh, especially really started 20 years ago. Um, but I'm sort of been in this work for 25 years, 20, 25 years thinking about, uh, social justice, equity, inclusion issues. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, in Chicago, I was the, uh, executive director of the lesbian community cancer project. And that's where I really got, uh, my first taste of the deep disparities in healthcare, uh, in the LGBT community and uh, really seeing the role of advocates and, and education and training for a non-clinician like me in the field of medicine. And so then that brought me to most recently, I spent the past six years, um, I just uh, started a sort of quote unquote sabbatical in the summer, but I really spent the past six years uh, knee deep at Harvard Medical School in Boston with our 15 affiliated hospitals um, and institutes uh, bringing to life LGBT health issues through the faculty, physicians, the students, patient care, um, uh, recruitment of the next generation of physicians, really passionate, exciting work. It's a real niche sort of medical education meets LGBT health um, interest of mine. And so to then bring my whole other Venn diagram part of this, which is my love of television, uh, is just uh, a real treat to get to bring all of that to uh, together with you today. 
Well, I, I always love when we're able to, because I'm a, a film critic by trade, and uh, we, we like to, I always kind of describe Esther Dial Illusions' role in, in LGBTQ media as, uh, I, I like to focus on uh, aspects of, of the community or, or uh, uh, things of cultural relevance that other people haven't, and yeah. Saint Elsewhere is an old show. It aired from 1982 to 1988. It is probably most commonly known for a scene in its final episode uh, which sparked the uh, you've probably if you're a TV fan, which I assume you are if you're listening, uh, you've probably heard of the Tommy Westfall universe, which links practically uh, dozens of shows through, uh, and it it all it all comes through a a sort of gone. I mean, St. Elsewhere is a very surreal show. They they did a lot of uh, weird episodes, like going. Uh, they did one in Purgatory. Uh, they've done a lot of time jumps, and and this is in the '80s. The dawn of serial television, serialized television, it's very important. Uh, the work that it did went on to influence. Uh, it, it's hard to understate the show's uh, significance. Uh, also, for millennial viewers, it's probably also noted, uh, if you're like me and grew up uh, watching too much Disney Channel or, or ABC, you're probably familiar with the show Boy Meets World. And the uh, patriarch of the show, William Daniels, is Mr. Feeney was the lead in St. Elsewhere, kind of playing a similarly kind of uh, gruff character. And he's actually kind of the focus of uh, of the episodes that we're going to be talking about. So for listeners, uh, we have a little bit of homework for uh, the episode description. I'll, I'll note this. Uh, and, we've, you know, I found actually in, in, in COVID with quarantine and stuff, people really like to have excuses to step outside their comfort zone. That's kind of uh, a lot of our film. A lot of our film episodes have catered to people who uh you know are looking for something new to watch beyond like the front page of netflix so saying elsewhere we'll be talking about episodes uh 12 and 13 of the first season you don't you don't really need to see the rest of the show to to understand it there, there are some serial plot lines but there's a really early in 1983 they were dealing with a trans plot line and that is what we are going to talk about today so i guess uh to to start off jessica uh as somebody who's a fan of TV. What, what, what did you What did you think? What are your thoughts on uh, the way that they handled one of the really, frankly, earliest trans themed uh, narratives on a network television show? Well, I I was um, so glad that you brought the, these episodes to my attention because I think it really um, helps me understand. We 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 talk so much about current, you know, from the '90s, of course. My more recent past, the 90s and now current representation of trans storylines, of course, we're also familiar with it. So to see this early representation was really magical. And of course, the caveat is for younger, you know, for viewers who aren't familiar with what the 80s or sort of pre 2000 life was like and talking about trans issues, there will be some upsettingness around you know, uh, the, how the, we used, how they used pronouns and the names. And, and that is yeah. something I sort of wanted to start off this conversation by saying, you know, how should we, how should you and I in this moment talk about the trans character? Um, and I think you had this, this was part of your conversation with my partner, Jen, and speaking of trans people from the past who didn't use pronouns or names uh, in the same way we do today. Right. Right. Well, so 
for 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 viewers, uh, we we have a we have an interesting character who uh, Bob Overland, played by Andy Romano. If you're really if you're really deep film aficionado and you're familiar with the 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 beach party movies of the '60s, uh, Andy Romano was in those. That would probably be his big claim to fame. Not 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 this episode of television, but uh, Bob Overland is a transgender woman who is played by a cis male actor. Who uh, I mean, the show really really makes no effort to try and i i i rail against visual trans transness uh like like quotas and all of that when we had candace kane yeah. on last month some of that was uh talked about yeah yeah uh, but but like that, that that said i mean this is kind of one of the points where you would step in and say okay we, we have a trans a character who is transitioning and uh especially for an audience in the 80s there is they 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 do offer practically absolutely nothing to really uh, right. uh right. enforce that idea. <laughs> right. Right. There's not um it's definitely that this sort of old school idea. I think we sort of thought this around some of uh Christine Jorgensen. I think we sort of had this idea that a, a trans woman, someone who identifies as a trans woman, gets on a plane, flies to another city, you know, goes through weeks and weeks of operations and, you know, one imagines lessons and walking and makeup and comes back off the airplane, you know, a beautiful dolled up uh, Christine Jorgensen, which was always that early image we have of her. So we see Bob, uh, the character named Bob, as, you know, fully presenting, very masculine, never brings up a name. Uh, we see some clothes in the drawer. So just to sort of say they use he pronouns and the name Bob throughout. But but more, so that gets me to the part of this that I found, one of the more fascinating parts for me is that this is really the story of the doctor. Um, right. This is really the doctor story, which is, of course, why I was so excited to talk about it with you, because that's that's where I live. I live in this world of being very focused on and centered with, and, you know, I, I identify as someone who is culturally competent in the language and the culture of doctors and doctoring and trying to help them from within their own culture become more adept and understanding around, especially trans lives. And so what I love about this episode, uh, unlike I think even more current episodes of trans characters in medical dramas, which really dives into to the trans character story, um, we really dive into this older, you know, white, cis, straight man, uh, rich, we imagine, very wealthy. He's chief of surgery. And his personal internal struggle with learning that his dearest, oldest friend uh, is about to undergo what we now call gender affirming surgery at the in the episode, they call it a sex change. And he's devastated and horrified and wants to stop it. And and what I loved about this episode, um, it is difficult to hear some of the awful things the doctor says, but it's a very human arc of the doctor experience. And I guess I wanted to say this, and I never really get to talk about this side of LGBT health sort of life, which is that <laughs> doctors are people too. They are people who were born and raised in our culture with all the same messaging, all the same histories that that everyone has, which includes a lot of transphobia, homophobia, racism, classism, and and their training uh, teaches them a lot of science, 
but there isn't necessarily the given that they're going to transform who they are as a human being uh, through the medical training process, right? So for me, the episode really raises this two-part journey that I try to do with doctors, which is on one hand, there is a very real evidence-based, huge now uh, amount of information we have on the huge positive impact that health and medical interventions on behalf of trans people can make in their lives. Hormones, surgeries, uh, uh, all of these wonderful um, skills and um, opportunities that medicine opens up for trans people that can be learned and downloaded and, and consulted on and easily done. But on the other hand, we still have human beings called doctors who have their own inner potential turmoil over their potential judgment or anxieties about transgenderness in the world, transness on a human being. And uh, that is harder to teach. That's harder to talk about. That, you, that doesn't get fixed in one hour or in a, a seminar. And what we see through this episode that I found so moving was that just one relationship, one human being, one human to human interaction could really change a doctor's perspective, could really change a doctor's whole trajectory probably on this issue. And that we know this is true for voters. We know this is true for politicians. We know it's true for parents around trans issues. And the same is true for doctors. And I, for me, this episode raised the reminder, once again, I don't want that to be the patient's responsibility to be the first trans person they meet. What could I do to make sure that doctors are getting to have these human moments of meeting uh, themselves and, and confronting their own uh, internal struggle around transness so that they can get out of their own way and uh, bring the care to where it's needed most. Yeah, I, I think you uh, bring such a uh, human side to uh, the, the plight that uh, that this episode uh, showcases through through Dr. Craig uh, William Daniels, uh, Mr. Feeney for, for millennials. Uh, he, and that's kind of, I mean, what part of what I love about St. Elsewhere as a show is he he kind of uh, he he represents in a lot of ways the kind of the Archie Bunker the old conservative uh, guy who's gruff and he's constantly uh, riding his uh, medical students in a lot of the other episodes and he he exists as a foil for the two other sort of patriarchs of the hospital which would be uh, Doctor Westfall and uh, Doctor Ashlander who. Norman Lloyd is still alive at uh, age 106. So which, uh, always... But I, but I have to say it's it's true for chief of sur- you know he's a chief of surgery this patriarch we're discussing right yep it's definitely it, it's it rings true for the different ways those personalities end up working inside of hospitals psychiatry right and the other what's the other one a chief of he's one is chief of psychiatry one's chief of surgery and the other one is chief of medicine medicine yeah. Right. Um, and that can be true sometimes of those personalities. Yeah, and he's um, he he's kind of always got a chip on his shoulder throughout the show. He um, he, he was a uh, so they they the reason the show the reason the hospital is called Saint Elsewhere it's called Saint Elijah's Saint Elsewhere is a derogatory term uh, 
it's 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 kind of the more rundown facility. It was once owned by the the church, and uh, it's it's a place where it, it's a teaching hospital, and it, it's not really regard it it they they cover a lot they handle a lot of patients that nobody else wants and it's supposed to be the the place that nobody really wants to go but uh for dr craig he was uh first of his class and he was going to go to boston general and then there's uh some some uh internal politics and he stays there um he kind of needs the hospital and the hospital needs him but he he needs to grow and uh I mean, as you said earlier, this is this is his his story, and a lot of that reflects a problem that uh, television and film is still trying to solve with representation. Where if you have a, a a trans supporting character, a trans guest star, it's hard to get them to have a fully fleshed journey when like so many of them are just kind of shoehorned into uh, trans specific plot lines. But what I do love about this episode, which you you brought up, is is it. It, it, it's really about him kind of coming to terms with the fact that the, the world doesn't really revolve around him. And I guess for for a lot of doctors, the the idea of if you have like I, I'm always just constantly think like we have to like move away from the idea that that uh, homosexuality or, or transgender identity, that there's something immoral about it. Because if you have doctors practicing medicine who go in with that kind of thing, you, you it, that's obviously going to affect people's care. Right. Right. Well, what you, this is, you know, and that's where uh, our issues have a lot in common with issues around um, uh, uh, larger issues of reproductive justice, of other, other bodily autonomy issues. Um, you know, this isn't, this is at the core of what medicine uh, is supposed to help in the training process, right? I often joke that half of what I ex- have watched my, uh, uh, students and colleagues go through in their training in medicine is just learning how to have boundaries and put up walls and have a poker face and almost sort of draining some of the humanity out of them. But then we see in a, in a moment like this on this episode where he's letting his own feelings, which is at the cornerstone of medicine, you're not supposed to, right? And um, that's what the psychiatrist does such a good job of reminding him. Uh, which is at the core of medicine, how to separate your own feelings um, from what is in the best interest of the patient. That's at the core of medicine, how to separate your own feelings from what's in the best interest of, of the patient. And uh, the truth is that, you know, doctors are human beings with feelings and connected to the world and their own uh, experiences and histories and, and, and foibles and, a lack of 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 uh, experience and and diversity in their lives, but but that doesn't mean that they can't using their medicine hat know that the psychiatrist, uh, for all intents and purposes, it was needed to say, oh I, no, she's fine. You know, the the trans person is the fine person in this conversation. It's you with the problem, right? You know, the the yes. patient is fine. You're the one with the problem, and that is like in a nutshell. <laughs> That in a nutshell is transgender medicine. In a nutshell, it's doctors and healthcare providers and the facilities and the forms that have the problem and not the patients. And, you know, of anything, uh, you know, you know, sort of as a caveat, it's like trans people listening to this, queer people listening to this, like we are not the problem. And unfortunately, so much of us, so many of us have internalized some of that that we have to keep reminding ourselves we are not the problem we are perfect 
uh, we are on our, we are on the right path. We are on the right journey. We deserve everything we're asking for. And it's really the healthcare institutions that have to get out of our, get out of their own way. Right. Um, and it's hard right. to not internalize that. Well, you, you mentioned uh, in, in your intro uh, a phrase that a uh, word that stuck out with, uh, with me was it was equity. And uh, at, at Dr. Craig at one point in the episode notes, he is the chief of surgery. I mean, I, we, we would probably have to assume that, that since uh, transgender uh, surgery, transgender medicine is not uh, featured in practically any any other point in the show, that, that this is probably some, some sur- surgeon with, with admitting privileges uh, similar to my own experiences with uh, facial feminization and bottom surgery yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Um, but he's the chief of, he's the chief of medicine, uh, chief of surgery. If he wants to, uh, you know, put the, if he wants to nix the surgery, he can, that, that, that is something that he could uh, do or, or attempt to do, or he could certainly pump the brakes. And I, I, I think that as, as, as we try and uh, as, as one of, one of, I guess the, um, one chief complaint that I hear from a lot of trans people is, is they really, they, they, they feel as though they're, they're kind of very othered by the, the uh, medical process, the hospital process to the point where uh, a lot of people are afraid to go see a doctor. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's just, it's, that's the, that is heartbreaking to hear over and over again. I mean, um, an institution that should be joining our mind, body, and spirit in a healthy uh, cohabitating, you know, uh, place, right? Uh, the, the place that uh, should be about healing, uh, bringing us together internally, externally, that for it in all of these little tiny ways and big ways that it others us and, and creates more uh, distance and trauma is awful. It's absolutely awful. And they have to be reminded every day. I spend half my days still having these conversations after 20 years with healthcare providers. I still have to constantly remind them of all of the horrible small ways and big ways that they traumatize patients every day. And um, most doctors don't even know what they're all of the steps before you even got there looked like, right? I mean, they don't even right. know, but the, the, it's true. I, I start, I thought about that too. You said it's probably someone with admitting privileges. So to, to, to frame this, um, 1973, uh, this was filmed in the mid eighties. So 1973 is when the DSM, uh, removed homosexuality as a disorder um, from the American Psychiatric Association's book, uh, the DSM. And, um, and then it was 1980 when they added transsexualism. And what's interesting about that is that on one hand, it shows that they finally started to uncleave, you know, the, uh, un, you know, pull apart the conflation of gender and sexuality, which we know they still struggle with. It comes up in the episode a little bit. I thought, oh, God, what a strange tangent they brought up. Um, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a, I guess everyone will hopefully have watched it by now, but there's this strange tangent, inappropriate sex therapist starts yeah. a relationship. <laughs> this is also before HIPAA. But not before, you know, ethics, but so ethically inappropriate. The sex therapist is now in a relationship with the trans woman patient, Bob. Um, the sex yeah. therapist turns out to be a trans man. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, I, uh, 
I so I I have actually interviewed not not for the podcast. I was doing a fact check for uh, an academic paper I was writing on Netflix, and I I reached I I've spoken with the co-writer of the of episode. 12 and he uh tom fontana who uh went on to create the shows uh, homicide life on the street and oz uh he's a very nice man i i i i, I kind of planned to reach out to him after this but one of the big questions was you know wh- where did where did that plot twist that oh by the way i'm sleeping with because yeah. i mean what, what's weird about that is in the first episode in episode 12 we have uh bob's wife yes. Anne, who is and that's actually like really one of the one of the the triumphs of of this episode is um Bob's wife is is on totally on board with uh Bob's transition and is supportive of her uh we'll use she she her pronouns okay, uh, the, the, no no one no one in no one in the episode even thought to uh i i mean i i, I guess uh before we go back to Anne, just just before i forget um i mean we when when did when did sort of pronouns uh pronouns uh that the when did people sort of start taking that seriously? Well, it's interesting to see that um I, I actually don't know the answer to this question, which is what you're asking is um there's this moment somewhere in the history of trans medicine where this one year of living socially in the gender um became right. a quote unquote requirement, which of course it was not an actual requirement. It was just a barrier that uh, group that doctors put up to protect themselves in some way, I think, um, pre. So before 2016, so 2016 is the year of uh, Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act, which is what codified transgender health in our insurance uh, programs. And we know that it's not perfect at all, but it wasn't in, in, until 2016, most trans surgeries were out of pocket. And um, a lot of doctors, you just had to catch us, catch can. We all shared information about doctors and surgeons and who was more open and affirming and who had less barriers. But most doctors would have this, you had to live for a year socially uh, in the gender uh, that you were, um, you know, that you were. And um, we don't see that in this episode, um, which is interesting. And they talk a little bit about transvite, transvestite versus transsexual. I, I, it's, 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 it's a little confusing, but it, it sounds like um, in, in the mid 80s, we're still under this idea that uh, what I get the impression is that she is living as a woman in some private places um, but just not maybe publicly, as I get the sense, uh, out in public, but maybe privately with friends and family, um, and um, or or what uh, at home, and that um, this surgery was really going to be that line in the sand to then walk out of the hospital as her full, you know, authentic self, um, which 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 is definitely I think for trans women, especially. Um, I, we sort of have that narrative in history, right? That you sort of got on a plane. I mean, I've met plenty of trans women um, who sort of tell the story about getting on a plane and going to Canada and coming back, you know? Um, Uh Anyway, that was, it was very interesting. So, so I don't get the sense that that barrier is there um, and that this is just, and also by the way, you, you know, we don't know what surgery she was going in for. That's true. They never say it. He says the doctor screams about mutilating your body, but 
and I think we all make the assumption that it was bottom surgery. Um, but you know, I also just want to say, you know, all throughout history, you know, bottom surgery, as as you know, is actually even it's even though it's becoming much more accessible with more and more surgeons in the United States, it's still it's still much less frequent than facial feminization surgery and uh, breast augmentation. Um, and both of those surgeries would have been well established by this point, right? Plastic right. surgeons, face, plastic surgeons who work on the face have been around for a long, long time. They, they've really perfected that. They know what they're doing. Breast augmentation has been around for a long, 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 long time. You know, those are two very uh, successful surgeries for a lot of women. Um, so I also could imagine it's potentially facial feminization and, and breast augmentation. And many women are very, very happy, um, with those as their main surgeries. Right. Yeah. Having, having been through bottom surgery, uh, I, well, I, I had bottom surgery and, uh, uh probably, uh, like about 10, uh, facial feminization procedures, uh, during the same hospital stay, which, uh, I mean, there there are uh, reasons yeah. to recommend that. There are reasons not to recommend that. Uh, I, I yeah, frankly w- wouldn't wish that recovery on anyone. Yeah. I had a UTI yeah. afterward. Uh, oh my it, gosh. Yeah. Uh, but well, I, I was just kind of thinking like the the because I I thought too about the the social requirement and and nobody throughout the process really asked me, and. Uh, there was there wasn't even like really a a, a ton of I, I was asked a lot you know do you go by a different name you know you're you're coming in here to get a vaginoplasty and I'm yeah. saying Ian, Ian Thomas and it's like nope nope that's just kind of the way it goes uh, too late to change too late to change now uh, <laughs> but yeah I mean they didn't really focus on that uh, I you know I, as somebody with a lot of lefty friends who who rail on uh, Obamacare for a lot of reasons I'll be forever grateful to the Affordable Care yeah. Act yeah. Uh, it was. My my surgery was was included. Uh, I uh, great and and even I mean I I had to argue with the insurance over uh, the uh, wh- whether or not the electrolysis which is required for the surgery you're not, supposed not to covered. Get, yeah it wasn't ah. covered. They covered it though. Oh, they did. See, you just have to have people who know how to jump through the hoops. You just have to know how people know who to call and how to fight for it. We, we, I, we have, I have a, a had a former student uh, in going into dermatology who's passionate about getting to the bottom of, uh, of, of really un, uh, unfettering electrolysis for trans women. It's really a, again, that's something else I hear a lot about electrolysis as a. Um, as its own sort of saving, you know, as something that just on its own would be a, a real lifesaver. Um, oh yeah. 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 For, yeah. for a lot of people. I mean, so, so to think about the doctor, so it would be interesting, obviously we make the assumption that the doctor was, was, was really upset about, you know, that of course lends this whole other thing, which is like it, the patriarchy being upset about the, you know, uh, the, the penis issue um yes. penis yep. and vagina and really the the and that does you know there there is definitely something to say when you really dig at and, and really get people assist people to really grapple with their anxieties about transness obviously well you don't have to scratch too hard to get to genitalia <laughs> right yeah 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 and i i mean there are there are so many trans people who uh and, and i mean part of part of the beauty of uh 
acceptance and representation that the modern era has brought about is, you know, people people don't necessarily need to feel as pressured to have certain things to quote unquote fit in. They, uh, you know, because every every single transition is different. Even, you know, you know, there's no checklist. You have to get X, Y, and Z to uh to to trans uh, to be trans. Right. Uh, and and I, the having a wide umbrella is so great and i mean there is the I, I like to correct people when they try to say um that that like a bottom uh the bottom surgery is is like uh cutting off something i think the caterpillar into butterfly approach yeah. is um more more accurate i mean if because if you really get into the nitty-gritty of of the surgery i mean the 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 tissue there is is important and it's used and uh yeah. for for all sorts of stuff and but of course, we have Dr. Craig, who I think deep down is kind of worried about his own masculinity, which is a common trend that that so many different uh, that so many trans people experience. Uh, his so we have Dr. Craig's college roommate has come out as a trans woman, and he just thinks that that undoes his entire college career. He's very upset about it. Yeah, it's um, what I you you're absolutely right. This 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 it's it's actually a great teaching. I wonder even if we could splice all these clips together and I could use it in a in a training now with doctors. You've got me thinking because it really touches on the role of uh, masculinity, uh, French. You know, were you lying to me? Was everything you said a lie? Do I have to look back on everything we did together at, differently, right? And I think really naming some of that is very powerful. But you're right, the patriarchal masculinity role of sexism, right? I mean, uh, losing, uh, you know, uh, what he might really think about women. Um, so I have a I have a dear friend in transgender uh, research who often. Uh, gets invited to talk about transgender issues and will say, surprise, it's a talk about sexism, um, right? So it's this idea that, of just the role of sexism and sex stereotypes and 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 how that really plays into our um, feelings about masculinity and femininity and, and, and goods and, you know, that we, one is better than the other sort of thing. Yeah, I mean it's something that that uh, I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, when I was at when I was at Boston College, I was on the water polo team. I lived in a big house. I mean, BC didn't have fraternities, but we lived in a house with uh, eighteen other guys. It was a big frat house, uh, and I mean, like, I don't, I, I try to kind of like uh, when, when it comes to like coming out and all of that stuff. I. I told some people and then I, I i don't think like in my case it was that surprising i'd grown my hair out i had satin sheets i had, wore a pink bath like i was pretty flamboyant as it was um not not satin not That's next level <laughs> yeah i mean i i and, and we, we we had a you know there were there were gay kids on the team we were inclusive all, i mean I, I i was in college kind of at the tail end of the era where where it was accept socially acceptable to use gay as like a synonym for stupid. Like we started, we st started like at, at that point, like the society was starting to move away from that kind of crap, which is uh, obviously harmful. And I, so I just like thought a lot about it. Cause we think about, you know, there's the, there's the urge for so many to say like, there were no signs. It's like, yeah, well I had to like, you know, I, it, of course there, there's always signs i mean even for me like my i've had this conversation with my mother 
And she'll be like, there were no signs. I was like, Mom, when I was four, I asked for a dollhouse for, for Christmas. Like, wait, 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 of course there were no signs. Right, right. Well, that's I love the expression that so many um, um, black gay folks, uh, black lesbians, I've heard a couple times now use uh, the reframing of coming out to inviting in. And, oh, I love that. Right? That's great. Biting in. And I think that's what you're getting at. And I think that's what the uh, Bob, the trans woman in this episode is getting at, which is, you know, this, this anger that an outsider has that I, you didn't tell me, I didn't see it. I didn't read the signs. And instead the trans person is saying, uh, I wasn't ready to invite you in, or you weren't, you weren't worthy of being invited into my inner landscape. And, and I, I love that you, you're pointing that out again, you know, it's, it's, it's not only an inviting in also for me, it makes me think about what kind of work I'm also doing on myself internally. You know, we're not all born completely self-aware and, uh, and, and, and able to really do some of the hard thinking and processing uh, about who we are and what we want out of life. And, 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 um, we, some of us, we get real busy and we focus on other things and, uh, for a long, long time. So what I've always said and felt around the trans journey is really being a part of somebody's trans journey, either as an advocate or a, a lover or family and friends is, is what an honor it is to be a part of someone who's doing such hard, uh, deep inner work. And may we all find our own inner journey that's as deep and difficult and rewarding as the trans journey is. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of conversations along the same lines with with people, and I I think that, and I've I've heard this in talking uh, with uh, parents of trans kids or uh, siblings of trans people, like whenever. Whenever somebody uh, I know has a has a sibling who comes out as trans, they often come to me, and I, I I try to welcome them and say like, look, if you if you have a question that you might be cringy and you have nowhere else to turn, like you you come to me, I, I will not judge. I mean, if it's really stupid, I'll, I'll judge probably, but I I won't I won't tell them that. Um, but but like, and and one thing that that this episode really just hit home on time and time again and it, it did it so well and we're we're looking at something that's 1983 and it was really hitting home this idea so bob's bob's wife Anne, and uh, uh the psychiatrist dr beale later on really emphasized the point that bob is happy now bob bob's life was bad before bob has found something that makes her happy and uh, I, I think for a lot of people that are kind of like treating trans as like a tug of war, trying to like uh, really f uh, not want to let go of the past. I'm thinking of uh, a lot of a lot of people have this uh, opinion about the Star Wars sequel trilogy. And uh, they, they, they uh, one of the characters noted, like, let, let the past die, kill it if you have to. Like, there needs to be a point where you don't build a sh you don't live your life as a shrine yeah. to what? nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, when what you make me think of, which comes up for Bob, which I think you're touching on, I hear it with parents as well, of trans kids, um, what I think subconsciously is going on is uh, almost an anger and jealousy. We see a lot of anger from Bob, and I can't help but wonder, is part of that anger that you look at the trans person as someone who's, do you see it as selfish, that they've spent so much time? 
uh, thinking about themselves and honoring themselves and putting themselves first. You know, is this a symptom of that we live in a culture where we're not putting ourselves first? We subjugate our own feelings and wants and needs and, and for the family or whatever. And and do people express anger? You know, is Bob's ang- is the is Dr. Craig's anger? You know, part of it like you know, who are you to, to change or, 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 or think about yourself this much? And, you know, I'm just going about my life and, and, and it, does it bring up, is that anger really like a, what am I not thinking about? What have I, what have I taken for granted? Am I unhappy? Are there parts of myself that I've just accepted that the world told me it had to be this way? Um, I think that's um, I think that's always an interesting part. Where is that anger coming from? Is it really jealousy of that of that journey of self discovery and self fulfillment that we all should have and find our path towards? Uh, when when you see someone who gets angry at a trans person, um, I wanted to. You made me think of the the end, the very end of the of the the story arc where Doctor Craig kisses Bob before I, I think it looks like it's right before Bob goes in yep. um, and it's a very tender very uh, you know there's even a sort of look from one of the other healthcare workers looking on yeah Dr. Um, Kochar who's, yeah. who's for context um, Dr. Craig's primary punching bag on the show is uh, Ed Begley's character Dr. Ehrlich who he has a scene with in episode 12 but uh, Dr. Kochar was very much his secondary uh he would dump he's a the anesthesiologist so yeah oh yeah anesthesiologist and so um there's a i don't know if it's a little potential homophobia moment or you know the look that he gave or you know anyway there's a moment um where where dr craig finally kisses his friend good luck before going into surgery people going into surgery is no small anyone going under anesthesia any friend or family member going into major surgery um, no matter that it's for a good thing or a scary thing, is a big deal. And we have to always honor that and and keep them happy and healthy as they go in. And so to have the doctor kiss his friend, good luck, and in such a warm, loving way, that's exactly what everyone deserves before they go in for surgery. And he really rose to that occasion. And that was a, a, a real, it was really nice to see the full arc of his journey. Yeah, because um, I mean, a lot of a lot of points in the show feature Craig uh, stuck in his ways, and they uh, between Doctor Wet. Well, the episode two, uh, episode twelve, the first episode for our purposes, um, ends with a scene with uh, Doctor Craig, Nurse Rosenthal is the head nurse, and uh, Doctor Westfall, Doctor Craig, and her are in a bar, and uh, you you've got Doctor Craig, who he, I mean. More so than anyone on the show, he really loves feeling sorry for himself, and he has it better than everybody else on the show. So that's kind of uh, at, at one point, Doctor Westfall sticks it to him by uh, renting a room at this great Boston hotel and charging it to Craig, and he, he never figures that out. But um, he says life used to be so much easier, and there's always got to be like a, I'm thinking of like the the Wikipedia tag that people use like sometimes, like who? Where's your source for that? Life used to be so much better, the good old days. Who were they good for? And that's something that that uh, uh, people are kind of reckoning with, especially with the with the protests earlier this year over over George Floyd. And we're 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 having a much needed rethinking of of what life like when it when it was good for for 
who who it was good for and for him to he, he, to his credit as a character i mean and, and this is so important too for a lot of people um you know it doesn't really coming out will be a cringy or telling people that you you've come out is is a cringy experience but you know it, it's not a it, it doesn't need to be a life-defining moment for old sort of conservative uh homophobes like dr craig if you put in the work and that 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 just kind of all comes into like the idea of you know you need to understand that the world doesn't revolve around you and i think that's actually like that's a natural uh thing that people have to grapple with you know yeah no no i love that you you bring up that point and um I think that, again, this world revolve around you point about that character, I think is, a, again, I just want to reiterate what I love about this show is it brings to life the life of the doctors. And of course, that's what we love that about medical dramas um, in general and this history of medical dramas. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, after St. Elsewhere came ER, which most people are more familiar with. Um, but ER only happened because of a show like St. Elsewhere. And of course there were other doctor shows before this, but often that had only maybe one doctor um, that we focused right. on. But, but the, the serial medical drama that shows the life of these are residents. So you see, these are, you know, how their what their life is like. And so many of the medical students that I work with today, you know, they did grow up watching Grey's Anatomy and uh, yes. of course we have the St. Elsewhere to ER to Grey's Anatomy. And uh, I just, I have to, I never get to tell anyone that uh, the students will privately say to me how sorely disappointed they are by how little sex and romance there is in the hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and of course they know it's a TV show, but, but, you know, for, for those of us who have been deep inside of hospitals and work, it, it is just a, uh, just a regular awful workplace like everybody else's at, at, except that every, you know, except that it's a hospital. And, and so the, it's just funny to, to, I have to comment on just like, you know, that this is a, 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 a drama about medicine that unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I think that, you know, it'd be interesting to really try to parse out how much of us as patients, for those of us in the patient experience, is is really uh, colored by our experience of watching these medical dramas when it, it does, a real experience does or does not line up to what we ever see on the TV shows. Um, and so I wanted to say about what we see about Dr. Craig is um, just a real inappropriateness. I mean, it's just completely inappropriate. It's completely unethical. It's completely, um, it, it, it would be, it would not, you would not see that today outwardly as much as you saw it in there, him speaking so openly and honestly about stopping the surgery and saying terrible things. That being said, it has gone a little bit underground and there's just now they set up sort of official barriers or, you know, gatekeeping as we call right. it. Um, but I don't know if it's better or worse now that I'm saying this out loud. I don't know if it's better or worse today with, with sort of official gatekeeping um, that we don't sort of hear those awful words he said. Um, um, but, but always to say it's a workplace. It's just human beings there. They've got their problems and you see that in this episode that it butts up against a real life or death issue for this trans woman. 
Well, that, I mean, that's you, you. You're hitting on something that is kind of very much an active discussion in. Uh, I mean, all this nonsense about cancel culture. All of these so-called cancel people, not all of them, but a big chunk of them have have bad records on transgender issues. And I, I, I think what what we as a, a society are grappling with right now is is how acceptable mainstream transphobia is going to be moving forward. Because as you note. Uh, the, these kind of opinions, uh, they don't necessarily go away, but but the, if they're underground, there is at least the acknowledgement that it's needs to that you shouldn't air that kind of stuff in a public forum. So if you're not going to necessarily get the that generation to uh, jump aboard the inclusive uh, ship, then I was going to say bandwagon. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> if you're not going to get them to jump on board, at least make it clear that that kind of talk makes should should in a polite society make you a bit of a pariah i'm also glad you mentioned gray's anatomy uh when we had candace kane on who got got to play a trans doctor on the show yes yeah but um the film disclosure which came out in uh june which um i really loved i got to have the director sam fader on and uh dr Mannion on uh right around the same time and actually there as i mentioned i think in the female husbands episode um, their their timeline of of where female husbands stops and where the uh, like right around the early 1900s and where disclosure picks up. Uh, we got to cover a nice stretch of trans history. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam's Sam's wonderful, right? It's a wonderful film. Well, yeah. So they talk about the Grey's Anatomy episode where it's really early on. I remember why I. I have the distinction of I've watched both the St. Elsewhere episode for the first time and the Grey's Anatomy episode before I transitioned. Obviously, I knew that I was trans. I was in the closet. And I remember having very like, very different reactions because I, I, w- one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is is that I think St. Elsewhere uh, in 1983 fares a hell of a lot better in most regards, not all, but in most regards than a lot of stuff in the early 2000s. And yeah. the Grey's Anatomy episode you have the episode was about a trans woman who needs to stop hormones because they're uh, affecting her her blood. She's getting she's getting cancer from her hormones, and there was a whole whole um, as disclosure talks about in, in that era. Whenever they would do trans medical uh, plot lines, it would be centered around the idea of this stuff is bad for you. You'll get and like I, 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 it would be probably your like. I don't know if it stunted my own coming out, but it, it made me feel really bad. The idea that if I transitioned, I could get potentially killed from my my life saving, life affirming treatment. Yeah, I, I, it's fascinating. Um, again, I think it's a bit of that. Um, just like Doctor Craig's, uh, Doctor Craig says about mutilating your body. It's again the the sort of the um, you know the final card that all doctors try to 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 use, which is that, you know, I, it's, it's the do no harm that they, there is this underlying, no, it's not underlying. It's the thread of their training is all about, I am here to try to mitigate and lessen um, the impacts of, of your health issues. So uh, I might give you a drug with side effects, uh, right? This is the story of their life. I might give you medicine to save one part of you, I am always mitigating the side effects and I'm balancing the benefits outweighing the risks. All medicine has risks, all surgery has risks, 
uh, all untreated issues have risks and benefits. And so it is a constant way. And that's why ethics plays such a huge role in the training of doctors. And we have such a huge, there's a wonderful, uh, I'll, uh, on, on Twitter, I'll inter, uh, you know, be sure to, to point her out an ethicist, trans ethicist around, you know, this is what this is all about, the weighing the risks and the benefits. And um, it's, but unfortunately, in those episodes that you're referring to about hormones causing cancer, there's a, that the doctors get to decide what benefits outweigh what risks. And what we're trying to say is, um, this is a partnership conversation for us to have. Give me the information. Let's talk it through. Let's talk about um, even not either or all hormones, or maybe it's 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 amounts versus you know what I mean. Like let's let's figure this out together as a as a co uh, create my journey, co create my medical plan together, weighing the risks and benefits together, and not that it's either or, right? Nothing is either or in medicine ever, right? And, yeah. um, and, and what we're trying to get at, and I, what I think in this St. Elsewhere episode is we are trying to put suicidality and life uh, affirming and joy and happiness on the table um, as a, uh, as sort of our, one of our central organizing forces, right? Yeah. I mean, I, the, the whole, I, I mean, I, I haven't been accused uh, of, of of mutilating my body in a long time. I did get every once in a while you get like an email or a message like it's not too late to like you 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 know you still can save yourself before the surgery. And I like like I usually don't respond to uh, transphobes, but you, those will usually say like no, actually for me what well, it's it's too late. I'm going if you think I'm if you think I'm going to hell like the hell basket has been woven as I, the basket I'm yeah. going to has been woven, but I like to remind people, remember, um, people freak out about tattoos. You know, yep. there's, there is a, a, a thread in our world, in our culture around bodily autonomy. That is very interesting. Inter uh, folks with the born with intersex conditions, of course, have really done a tr tremendous job of putting this first and foremost about this idea of bodily autonomy um, and the role that that plays in patients' uh, experience and conversations with doctors. And, uh, I, and I think, again, I what I love about transgender medicine is not only that I love trans people, but that I love that trans people are helping us carve out a bigger conversation, just like intersex folks with intersex conditions, a bigger conversation, a more meaty, a more, a deeper conversation around bodily autonomy that I have the conversation that it's, it's going to help us have our better conversations around abortion. It's going to help yep. us have better conversation around, uh, around all sorts of issues that affect everyone, everyone. When doctors wrap their heads around understanding transgender health and, and helping transgender people live their full lives with the help of medicine as one part, just one part of their journey, when doctors and, and all the healthcare professionals really sit with that and own that, it will change their perspective on every single patient interaction they have. The, the idea of patient-centered care 
that trans people and trans health really makes more space for doctors to change their relationship to patients. Uh, Every single patient they see on every single topic um, can really be affected if they really own the beauty of having an affirming patient-centered experience with a trans patient, right? Um, that, right. If you really are there for a patient who is transgender and is coming to the medical system for a, after, some form of, of, of glory, affirming care, uh, you know, that that kind of a mind shift you could look at every patient doctor interaction in a new way that we could create healthcare that creates joy, that creates life affirming medicine for every single endeavor um, that, that every person might be facing. If we put affirming uh, your humanity, affirming your bodily autonomy, affirming your life at the center of all care, um, all patients would benefit. I couldn't agree more. Um, I had a question that uh, it's something that I think about a lot and people bring up a lot. Uh, you know, there's there was the the famous the Time magazine cover with Laverne Cox from a few years ago, the transgender tipping point. And, and I feel like a lot of times we're as, as a society, I see it reflected in a lot of the LGBTQ related press releases I, I get, which are, um, you know, talking about sort of representation as a as a abstract theory or or the world's the world's getting better and i, I don't think that's been a hundred percent reflected in our, our storytelling yet although um y- there are some exceptions uh you know the new the new gossip girl has has trans writers on staff saved by the bell has Wait a trans a actress this is the first i'm hearing about a new gossip girl Oh, we had the uh, we had the writer um, for uh, the the Billy Tipton documentary, No Nor Ordinary yeah. Man, Amos Max on the writing room. That is supposed to premiere uh, next year. Oh my! Oh, I have to pull myself together. I'm a huge Gossip Girl fan. Huge. So am I. Uh, we actually uh, Easter egg for our uh, listeners. There was some breaking news that was revealed in the recording of that episode that we had to cut out or else somebody would get in trouble. So um, uh, I, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I can't reveal the news, obviously, but... Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, okay uh, go on, go on. Well, okay, so, I mean, people are always kind of talking about abstract of uh, representation as an abstract concept. You're somebody who for decades has put in the day-to-day work. Yes of this, uh, on this subject. And just, you, you know, I, 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 I kind of, I, I view your role as, uh, in LGBTQ outreaches, you know, you're kind of the, the person, uh, bringing the sledgehammer to the institution <laughs> saying it's time for us to come in. It's time to, uh, open the doors for an inclusive world. And uh, you probably know better than anyone. This takes a lot of time, but it, it, it takes, it takes constant, like, like uh, trying to get deeper and deeper into into the issue and not just saying like okay we have there's a trans person in the room we're done we've solved transphobia i'm not it's obviously a lot more complex than that oh i'm so glad you 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 uh, allowed me to talk about this part because that is the part that i am uh, so passionate about which is uh supporting more trans and non-binary young people to see themselves as future doctors and healthcare providers. Um, I am, I'm working um, 
you know, by uh, by hook or by crook, and I say it's one of my favorite trans movies of all time, by hook or by crook. By hook or by crook, uh, it's a, a Silas movie. Um, by hook or by crook, I do believe that one of the most one of the most impactful interventions, one of the fastest ways to change medicine is going to be for more LGBTQ doctors. Uh, we have a lot already, so I'm doing it in two, two ways. One is I am supporting uh, and I'm in there every day um, uh, just finding ways to support and work with LGBT people in, who are already doctors in and or in medical school who are themselves somewhere in the LGBTQ community, helping them be successful, confident. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. I spend hours every day um, I, I, before this and after this, I was on phone calls with uh, uh, people interviewing for residency. It's happening right now. The interviews for residency who are uh, members of the LGBTQ community to knock it out of the park, to be confident, to talk about their identity if they want to, how to, how to talk about their career, how to ask questions about the institutions that they're interviewing. Are you inclusive? Will I be supported there? Um, I'm work. I'm so thankful to be, uh, I have a, a real handful of non-binary and transgender uh, doctors and med students and residents. They are there. They are out there. There are, there, there's not a, there's not a million, but but boy, there are a lot more than there was when I started this six years ago. And I mean, I actually get really get really emotional when uh, telling the story that it's happening. And and if I could say anything to trans uh, and non-binary and gender queer uh, and all the queer people listening, you know, it's I know healthcare has real uh, challenges right now for you and. But there are these amazing non-binary and transgender medical students who I am working with who are so excited about becoming doctors. And it is going to be revolutionary to see transgender doctors walk, doctors who are transgender walking through hospitals all over the United States, all over the world. I work with people in Canada. I'm working with people in Australia, in Great Britain. I mean, it's happening everywhere that this generation um, got to college and was like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And now they're getting into medical school and they're getting into residency and they're becoming fellows and doctors. And it takes a long ass time to become a doctor. I'm so sorry to tell you, but it's happening. And it is, um, it is revolutionary. It will be revolutionary because of, of on multiple fronts. Number one is patients will be just so freaking thrilled, right? For those of us who are yep. trans, we're going to be so excited. Uh, whether, you know, uh, whether you come out as trans or not, you know, we're going to know it. It's going to affect us. It's going to make a huge impact on patient care. But that now think about you know, trans doctors who are transgender and non-binary becoming chiefs and chairs and getting research grants, moving their way up the academic medical ladder. I'm, I'm looking at you all. You've got to do it. We've got to get them to succeed. They're going to become in positions of leadership. They're going to be on teams. They're going to affect the whole nursing staff. I mean, it's just going to be, I think, the rip, the revolutionary ripple 
is going to be, I think, way bigger of an impact than me coming in and doing a dog and pony show during your lunch hour grand rounds on Transgender Health 101 or bringing in a panel even of transgender patients. Having a doctor, uh, a nurse, a PA, a nurse practitioner, a scribe who is an out trans non-binary person on the team is going to be huge. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, speaking from my own experience, having a a trans surgeon perform my surgery, I felt a lot more uh, comfortable. Uh, I mean, frankly, I was grateful to that that uh, trans medicine has has been able to uh, make so many uh, leaps and bounds. For what you're describing, I, I mean, the future looks this this is this is my question in action. This is people. Uh, putting in the work to to transform these institutions. I know so many people like, yeah, uh, a lot of this stuff should have been handled 10, 15, yeah. 20 years ago, but, uh, we, you know, we can only look to tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Sarah McBride's uh, book, Tomorrow Will Be Different. Look at her. She's going to yep. be a state senator. Yep. Uh, yep. It's pretty pretty remarkable. We've, we've uh, laid a lot of groundwork. I mean, Sarah McBride talks about that so much, all the groundwork that was laid. I mean, you know, I just want to say it's, it, that's why I think it's going to, this is actually going to happen quite quickly uh, from now because we have laid such incredible groundwork. I mean, you know, um, you know, uh, gay men uh, inside of medicine fought very hard. I mean that I started off, uh, you know, earlier, we talked about 1973 I always tell this story and, and uh, the American Psychiatric Association meeting of 1973, when uh, a gay man who was a member of the APA himself wore a mask, changed his voice, stood up in front of his colleagues and said, I am a gay man. And so I've had a chance to meet so many of the doctors who were in the room or around at that time. And what a huge impact it made for doctors to meet another doctor who was gay and, you know, quote unquote, just like them. Right. And um, it made a huge impact in removing and starting to shift the stigma of uh, around gayness uh, being gay in in medicine. Um, I think this is exactly what's going to happen around gender diversity in medicine is that more and more are trans and non-binary doctors are just going to topple all of the last vestiges of misunderstanding and fear and, and apprehension that's inside of medicine. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, to, to, as, as, as we start to wrap up to uh, return to St. Allegis, yes. I, uh, you know, for me, this, I, I, I'm constantly, like, I, I'm kind of internally, I've talked about it on the show a couple of times, uh, when I get pitched coming out narratives, I'll, like, say to people, like, look, I'm sorry, if you're still doing coming out narratives, I feel like nowadays it's more for, like, the parents and the cis people or the straight people, and it's not necessarily for me, but... Uh, and I, I would much rather focus my intention on sort of deeper, deeper stuff. And when we talk about the past uh, with with film and, and television, a topic we talk about a lot, uh, the, the idea that we have problematic, uh, problematic storylines uh, featuring trans people, which uh, Sinosaur obviously did fall under that trap a couple times, one you know, particularly cringy one with the, the, the trans man sex therapist, the uh, 
total awful. I don't know why. I, I, I'm, I'm going to dig into why that happened. Uh, let's see if I, uh, hopefully I can get some answers, but, um, you know, w- when I think about just, just the, the broad spectrum of transgender representation in the media, I always go back to when I, when I talk at two people and I point out issues, they say, well, at least they're covering trans people. At least they're represented. Mm-hmm. And I say like, that's not enough. St. Elsewhere did this in 1983. Why are you not better than the representation that was done in 1983. If it's 30 years later and you're still kind of circling around, uh, I'm sorry, but you know, you're not, you know, there's no Dr. Craig here. This is just, it's really not as good. Right, right. Well, I think you raised the point, you right, this was the point you were getting at with representation. So, um, you know, uh, I have to say, you know, uh, Neil Bear, my uh, dear friend, who I've told you about, who, who absolutely should, you know, is a wonderful interview, uh, was the first writer to be in a writer's room full time who was a doctor. Uh, and he's a he's a gay man now. He came out later uh, as a gay man. Um, so these medical shows, uh, it took them a long time before they realized they had to have writers not just on as consultants uh, and, you know, giving little script uh, care, you know, bit by bit but having an actual doctor in the writer's room at all times and how that changed uh, how they, how they do the medicine and talk about medicine. But I think what you're getting at in this representation is now just is now we need trans people in the writer's room 24 seven and that to get to this, the correct depth and the nuance. And there are, listen, we like drama as much as everybody else. There's plenty of interesting you know, even scintillating, you know, uh, real housewives moments that you could have real stories of trans people. I, when I thought about that storyline that didn't go, that, that they haven't been done correctly, I thought, you know, the neck, I'd love to see a storyline of a trans, you know, there is a, a trans male, uh, resident on Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if he's still on, I haven't watched it recently, but you know, it would it would be wonderful to see a tran an older trans patient and a young trans resident uh, caring for that older trans patient, and together they are having maybe even a little conflict, an intergenerational conflict about words or or uh, how they view their story. And I mean, there could be there's so many uh, you know good drama stories in, internal to our community, right? I mean, we've yeah. got our own drama that I'm I'm ready to see on the screen. Yeah, I I well, I say this as somebody who I have a young adult um, manuscript uh, featuring a, a trans lead and a lot of trans characters that's going out on submission. Hopefully, we're on track to get it uh, started next month. Thankfully, um, but. Uh, one thing that when in in when when we're crafting the proposals and stuff is I say like look I I don't focus on the mechanics of transition that much. That's not to say they don't come up, but they come up in passing in conversation, sometimes even in kind of joking matter between trans people because like and everybody everybody who's trans who's listening. I mean we know this being trans oftentimes can be very very amusing and there's a lot to laugh about. There's there's a lot of this experience is fun and you can talk about in ways that aren't super serious and that's kind of all the joys of that and now with writers who understand what what being trans is about uh we're we're able to kind of broaden the experience behind just kind of the the rudimentary mechanics so yeah i mean it it it's it it 
it's a very good time to uh, be trans and and see ourselves reflected in uh, in the content that we have. And like with that in mind, I uh, you know Saint Elsewhere is one of my all time absolute favorite shows. I give it a recommendation that I really withhold from uh, mo- most programs, even the ones I really like. Uh, it's in my upper tier for the depth of the characters and and the ways it would push them to be more than just kind of the character description that you could read in like the show Bible. They really hit these, they put these people through the ringer a lot. And Dr. Craig, especially later had a lot of tragedy in his life. And uh, I, 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 you know, when when looking at the the history of of uh, of, of trans representation, uh, I, I I look back on it with fondness, even though of course there's some cringe. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I I totally agree, and I think it's a wonderful gift to have characters that continue to evolve and and resonate for us. Um, I love that, and I again I can't wait for you know for writers rooms to hire more queer and trans writers who actually have a wide breadth of knowledge about the real diversity of our community too. I mean, I think that becomes one of the hard parts, you know, is, especially in LA, it, you know, it, we plunk in a, a, a person of, rep, you know, who represents a diverse voice and we expect them to know real nuances of all the different parts of our community. So that will be the real exciting future is to get a show like this that really gets at all of the uh, ups and downs that we get to have too. I'm glad you ended on joy. I'm glad you ended on humor. You know, that is what we all deserve are the full range of emotions uh, when it comes to this, but leaning towards more joy. I, yeah, that's really, uh, I, I say it to people. I mean, I still to this day, yeah, uh, I think I've been, well, I mean, the, the whole notion of when a transition starts and ends is a whole nother can of worms that we touch on sometimes. But like, I, I still to this day, I mean, I look at my body and I, I, I'm like, how did this happen? How did, how did I, how did I get to this moment from all of that time? And it is, it's, it's, it's the flip side of dysphoria. We have the euphoria of it. And it's just uh, what a time to be alive. It's great. I uh, and and it's it's really one of my great joys with this show to be able to dive into this kind of stuff and find I this this past six months has been with the the guest slate that we've had has been uh, we've covered so many different topics some some of which have absolutely nothing to do with um, tra- uh, LGBTQ stuff. But but the the idea that I could host a show called Estradial Illusions and get so many uh, fascinating people have so many great discussions. Uh, I I you know every time I sit down to record, I have a big big smile on my face, and we cover such fascinating stuff. And it's it's been such a uh, such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on to uh, share your uh, extensive invaluable experience with with all of our listeners who are are invest. This is our history. Yeah. 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 And I, I, you know, listen, I, I love the show. I love you doing it. I'm so glad uh, that you're able, that you just get to talk and and do so much interesting uh, deep dives into things that, you know, are, are represent so many different parts of our lives. So uh, keep up the great work and um, I can't wait to uh, see what comes next for all of us. Well, uh, Jessica, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I, this is a, uh, a, uh, this is an idea that I've wanted to do for so long, and I needed I needed an ang- I needed somebody uh, who could bring a, a perspective that was that that was totally different from my own. And uh, 
you you gave us just such a such a great perspective on 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 this this topic so thank you so much you're so welcome and uh to everybody listening uh Check out St. Elsewhere. You know, I mean, we're still we're still a couple months away from like the vaccine being safely distributed. That's a perfect amount of there are six seasons, and this isn't like a ten episode. There are twenty two episodes of each of the seasons. So uh, you know, get started. You have a lot of TV to watch. But uh, thank you to everybody so much for listening, and we will see you next time. 